You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. The great thing about the protests of the past month is not just that they've been so massive, so sustained, so diverse, so inspiring. The best thing is that they are not about Donald Trump. That's what Dahlia Lithwick says. She writes about the courts and the law for Slate, and she hosts the podcast Amicus. Last time we spoke here, it was about the legal challenges to Trump declaring a national state of emergency to respond to what he called an invasion at the southern border. Dahlia, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. Okay, these protests are not about Trump. What would you say they are about and why? Why is that a great thing? Well, because I think that Trump was always the symptom of the fundamental problem and not the problem itself. And I think that as long as we held him out to be everything that needed to change in America, we were eliding the real issues. And the real issues in my view go back centuries and they have to do with systemic racial injustice, with systemic profound distortions about gender, you know, economic inequality, all of the things that in some sense created Donald Trump, but are not about Donald Trump. And so for me, you know, I, I was the person for the last three and a half years saying, why aren't people on the streets? Why aren't people on the streets? You know, he's putting children in cages and then why don't people care? And I really had to reckon with the fact that I was wrong and that in some sense, if you think Trump is the problem, you're taking him seriously and he's not serious. But the injustices that we are now out on the streets protesting are America laid bare and that is serious, but it's, Trump is sort of adjacent to those problems. Okay, I agree completely. Trump is the symptom of our problems, not the cause. But you also say, quote, Trump doesn't matter, close quote. Isn't that going a little too far? I, I think that I'm trying to respond to the thousand people a day who tell me, I'm sure they're the same people who tell you, ignore him, ignore him, right? Why are you amplifying his tweets? Why is there a photo of him, you know, on your social media? Ignore him. 
And you can't ignore him. He's the commander in chief. He has the codes, right, to uh, uh, the nuclear arsenal. You don't get to ignore him. And I think what I was trying to say is, let's make him the size that he is in reality. And the size that he is, is a kind of cartoonish, laughable aberration that we are stuck with. Contend with him on that ground, not on the ground that he is some, you know, oracular prophet, some important and, and signifying character. He's a silly character. And I think he's a silly character that reflects back on us how silly we are. I think that is something to take seriously, our own silliness and our own shallowness and our own attention deficit <laughs> need for fame. But I think we have to make him the size that he is. And so you're right. When I, I say he's tiny, I guess I'm being rhetorical. But, but I, I want to believe he is tiny and that we are big. And that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah, you have in your piece at Slate, why bother protesting a reality show when reality itself is a daily nightmare? That's pretty great. On your most recent Amicus podcast, you talked with Vanita Gupta, who had been head of the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department in the Obama years. She said the Obama Justice Department investigated I think it was 25 police departments for systematic misconduct out of something like 16,000 in the United States. I mean, William Barr is terrible. I don't think he's investigated one, but 25 doesn't seem to be enough either. I think her point was actually really important. Her point is that the notion of holding the police to account that that could just turn into this Pandora's box of every single police department in the country being under a consent decree, every single police department being, you know, under judicial scrutiny. That's just a fallacy that even in, on her watch under Eric Holder, it is, the, the bar is so high to launch one of these pattern and practice investigations to get to the point where there is an actual consent decree. And I think what she wanted to say is, the idea today that they only did 20 whatever invest such investigations uh, seems like a lot because as she said in the sessions bar uh, uh, time uh, as attorneys general, there's been one. 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 But the point isn't that 20 is a lot. The point is that even if there should have been thousands and I would submit what we now know about what happened to George Floyd, what we knew about Eric Garner, what we are now seeing video evidence of every day, uh, suggests that 20 is a really low number, really low, and that it's very, very hard to bring these cases, to bring these investigations, to get a process in place that holds anyone to account, and that we shouldn't assume that the existence of those investigations means witch hunts for every bad cop. It's just, it's a super, super, super hard thing to effectuate. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. I think that's what she was saying. Well, the Democrats in Congress are on the move right now. They've proposed a big bill to reform 
the police in America, lots, lots of stuff in it. They want to make it easier to sue police officers for misconduct in civil court, make it easier to prosecute bad cops for criminal behavior. They want to ban the chokehold, require body cams, and they want to give the Justice Department Civil Rights Division subpoena power to investigate local police departments. And the bill would create a national database disclosing the names of officers who have a pattern of abuse. All that sounds good. What do you think is the most important things on that list? I, probably all of that. Look, we're having this amazing conversation, this defund the police conversation. And yeah. yet again, we're having it about nomenclature, which is not, I think, the most useful component of, right? Everybody's like, I wish they'd called it, you know, pink petunia instead of like, it's such a silly side fight about what we call it. And I think that what it's raising is a question about we can't keep treating violent racialized policing as a, a problem of a few bad apples. And that that story that the police are by and large a benevolent, benevolent uh, force that exists to bring peace and order uh, to all aspects of our lives is just false. And it's particularly false when it comes to minority communities. And I think that at the heart of this fight, there is a question about Defunding the police doesn't mean, you know, we pull all the cops off the beat and grow, grow flowers. It means that we massively, massively reorganize how we spend money and rededicate the proposition that public funds go to education and healthcare and other things that we have subordinated to police power. And so I think that you know, on the merits, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of the things you've described. On the merits, it's clear qualified immunity and uh, lack of transparency have kept those quote unquote bad apples, <laughs> you know, moving from police force to police force. And, and that's why you get claims that people have 17, 18, 19 instances, such as the one uh, that's finally taped. I think that's all essential. And I don't, want to diminish the value of anything that increases transparency and increases uh, accountability. But I think I would probably side with people like Vanita, who is hardly a radical, who say that foundationally what needs to change is the way we think about policing and funding the police and not, you know, it, it goes to over-incarceration and over-criminalization and three strikes and a decades-long project in this country to put everybody in jail, which has profited nobody except the for-profit prison industry. But I think in a deep way, it requires edging away from claims that there are one or two bad apples on every police force and edging into a deep, deep soul-searching conversation about what we fund and what we value and why. And I think that conversation is, if it happens under the rubric of defund the police, I say more power to it. I don't know that we can get there, but I do think that I am seeing this as a transformational moment in terms of public attention 
to the questions that go beyond simply accountability for a few bad apples and really ask why we have militarized police officers, you know, dressed for war and driving tanks down the streets. I think those questions are as integral and essential as questions about accountability. So the problem is not Donald Trump. The most fundamental problem is not police misconduct. As you said, it all it goes much deeper than that. We are seeing how much more deep it goes. The protests are now against the real problems in America, the historical power of white supremacy. The challenge is not just to Donald Trump, but to the system that made him possible and made him successful. Does that mean things are going to get better now, do you think? You know, I've reflected on that a lot. One of the things that's really been heartening to me, this is going to sound so corny, I'm going to say it, but I think that what's really heartening is that this is largely a leaderless movement that Joe Biden is is sort of circling somewhere and I don't in any way want to diminish uh, the force of what he's trying to do, but I don't think this is about Joe Biden any more than it's about Donald Trump. I I sort of started this conversation with you by saying this is about us. I really think that what is powerful to me is the slightly narcotized reality show life we had been living that got us a Donald Trump is the thing that I think is being dislodged. And again, I've spent the last few years thinking oh my God, we all jump from Robert Mueller is going to save us. And then, uh, you know, Senate Democrats during the impeachment are going to say, I mean, we are fall in love. It's like bad chiclet, right? With like one hero after another that's going to fix this for us. And in some sense, that too, I think is a symptom of the problem. And so what I'm really moved and chuffed by in this particular moment is, of course, we're seeing extraordinary Black leadership, and it's so important, and it is so important that minority voices are being listened to and amplified. But I just think this is, in some sense, the possibility for change really requires kind of weird street politics of the sort I think the framers protected right in the in the first amendment the idea that what you do is you get on the streets and you talk to each other and you shout at each other and you work through your stuff and the exact opposite of street politics is Donald Trump and so I guess in a strange way even though I I frankly am terrified and I think I said in the piece you know I think We should in no way minimize Donald Trump's capacity to make everything terrible. And he is, he has, you know, Lafayette Square is terrible. And what Bill Barr has done at the Justice Department is unconscionable. But I think that the leaderlessness of this and the almost complete absence of passing the buck and hoping someone else is going to fix it is really, I think, ennobling and long overdue and gives me at least some hope that we're not looking to the next hero to fix it. We have given up on that fantasy. It was always a bit childish. I think, I think it's time. 
What's great about this moment is it's not about Donald Trump. It's about us. Dahlia Lithwick wrote about why this time is different for Slate. She also hosts the terrific podcast, Amicus. Dahlia, thanks so much for talking with us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Take good care. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.